1: We can make our own things, uh, but if there are things that remain um, tangible only to us and maybe even a handful of,
0: full of us, it still remains marginal. That is Charlton McElwain. On this episode of New Books and Technology, I'm your host, Jasmine McNeely. The book is Black Software, the Internet and Racial Justice from AfroNet to Black Lives Matter. But one of the first things we always like to do on new books and technology is ask about the author. So who is Charlton Michael Wayne?
1: I am currently a vice provost for faculty engagement and development at New York University, uh, where I've also been a professor of media, culture and communication for about 20 years. Um, I study issues of race, politics, and media, uh, including, uh, technology. Um, and so that is, uh, that is my space.
0: Mm-hmm. So how did you get to studying, um, media, politics, and race? Uh, wow. That, uh, that goes right back to my first, um,
1: career, which was in politics. I, uh, Went to college in Oklahoma, ended up in graduate school at the University of Oklahoma, and one of the things that I did at that time was got involved in Democratic Party politics. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: The first campaign I worked on was a congressional campaign uh, against J.C. Watts, who was at the time the first African-American Republican. Republican, right?
0: Yeah. Elected
1: to Congress from uh, south of the Mason-Dixon line. Um, and there's some, some very interesting dynamics in that particular context had it been to do with uh, controversial uh, racial political ads uh, in, the, in the political contest before that year and during that. And so that's really what got me interested in the sort of cross-section between uh, politics uh, and race. Uh, And for the first 10, 12 or so years of my um, academic career, that was really the focus of um, my attention, how race impacts political campaigns and how political candidates mobilize race for their strategic advantage.
0: How did you move into the race and technology or race and internet and politics space?
1: That was a a long um, development for me. So it really began as I was finishing uh, a first book uh, called Race Appeal, which was about those issues of political campaigns and uh, and race. And what I started to find, and this was um, 2008, 9, 10, was that the people that I... um, was conversing with, the people that were interested in issues around civil rights, political campaigning, equal opportunity, uh, were all moving into this digital space. That's where the work was happening, even amongst uh, my academic colleagues and peers who were uh, on social media uh, and digital networks, uh, talking about their work, making connections to policy communities, to activist communities. And so for me, I was, number one, I was reluctant to come into that space and, um, you know, remember first getting on Twitter and thinking, you know, why would anyone use this channel? What is it for? It seems like an absolute waste of time. Um, But I started to become interested more so in the medium itself and in the technology and what it had and what it offered for the kind of political uh, action, political organizing uh, that I would see happening. Um, This, of course, is around the same time that uh, you have the Obama election. And so the outpouring of uh, electoral uh, action, as well as all of the racial dynamics that were uh, at play um, and the real sort of first time in a highly engaged way, excuse me, where digital media, the internet, um, data, uh, in a very big way, were playing uh, a role in uh, that election. So that's how I got started. But for me, I had to Uh, What that meant was retool a bit because this was not a space that I was familiar with. I was not a technology person in terms of what I'd studied. Um, And so it took me a few years of just reading, exploring, um, learning new things about uh, how to, uh, at least in a rudimentary way, um, learn how to code, learn how to uh, collect and read different kinds of data. And so that's how I got into it. And then um, ultimately, we end up around 2014, 2015 um, with uh, Ferguson, Missouri. And then that's when uh, a lot of things change with that uh, moment in time, the the emergence of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which then spearheaded uh, everything that I've done
0: since. And you've talked about how uh, your interest in in the Black Lives Matter movement has kind of like spurred um, your writing of Black software. Is that correct? Absolutely. It was the um,
1: it was the sort of moment. And so, you know, like many of the rest of us, uh, that movement, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, took me by storm, um, and to see the level of organizing and sustained political action uh, through 2014, 15, uh, and after it really made me curious to understand um, how did that happen and what was so different about this new digital and technological environment that enabled uh, those activists and organizers who played a role in um, the Black Lives Matter movement um, uh, what gave them that opportunity to do something that had not been accomplished uh, really since the late 60s and early 70s which was to catapult issues of, of race, racial inequality, racial discrimination and particularly uh, in the criminal justice system at the forefront of uh, public discussion. Uh, So I wanted to know how that happened. And that's where uh, Black Software began. That was the question that first motivated me and what I was really set out to answer, um, though the book turned out uh, very differently.
0: You'd say that Black Software is two books in one.
1: It is. Um, And it took me a while to get to that point. I made the... Uh, uh the decision early on that, uh, you know, what I mostly wanted to do in this book was to tell a story because what I found was that I discovered some things for myself um, that I had never known that were uh, su- surprising to me. Uh, and that really changed my outlook and um, thinking about the relationship of uh, black folks and uh, technology. And so, really what I set out to do was tell um, a story, but the more um, I unraveled things, the farther back in time I went, uh, there were two stories that uh, emerged and I felt compelled to tell them both um, because they were both related to each other, although they were in some ways um, different. And those stories really had to do with Uh, our more recent history, um, and then the other with uh, our longer uh, history. And so when I started to write the book or started to do research on the book, uh, as I said, my first question was really about Black Lives Matter. How did it come about? Um, How did this uh, sort of digital activism, uh, as it were, uh, begin? What were its historical roots? Um, And I thought, you know, this was going to be a story that was, you know, fairly present uh, oriented. Um, And if we went back in history much at all, it was to a history that I thought I knew, which uh, emerged in the early and mid 90s with the advent of the World Wide Web. Um, And I remember when the, you know, the moment when. Uh, that all changed. So the first uh, sort of discovery, discovery, if you will, for me was uh, to find uh, a whole host of African Americans in the early 90s, mid 90s, um, who really played a central and outsized role in the development of what we know now as the internet. And so that was my first uh, sort of Discovery and story that I wanted to tell about this group of folks that we have never heard about, given that from, you know, even up till now, and certainly in the nineties, the story about African Americans and technology was a story about the quote unquote digital, the digital divide, the story about, uh, black folks who did not have access to or much less using Uh, new internet technology uh, and the disconnect between uh, black folks and white folks in their use of technology. And so our story, our narrative uh, historically is really about black folks who don't have access and had nothing to do um, with that time and that technology. And so to discover a world where that was entirely different, to discover that Number one, that millions of African Americans had access uh, to computers, had access to modems, were using them at their uh, homes. That was what set me off and wanted to understand who were these people? Because um, what all we heard before then was about all the others, the folks on that other side of the divide. But who were these folks um, who were um, plugged in? Uh, tuned in, uh, creating, producing, uh, and that was um, a story uh, that I discovered early and got into with a number of people who um, who had so much to do with a history um, that I don't think is an understatement to say really defined and shaped what the modern internet um, is. So that was the first story that I wanted to tell had to tell, um, but even as I discovered and told that story, I remember interviewing uh, a person I had found just sort of uh, uh, lurking around the internet and uh, and searching around for people uh, sort of in that early 90s moment and I came across a man named William morell and so I decided to, to call him up and uh, talk to him and ask him. He was the first person uh, that I had ever seen the words uh, black software connected to. Um, And so I wanted to understand, A, what he meant by those uh, two words. Um, And the way that conversation started was me asking the question that I had asked so many other uh, folks, which was very simply, when did you first get online? And I thought, uh, you know, I knew the answer to that question uh, for uh, most of them, which in my mind had to be in the early to mid-90s with the the advent of the web. And so I asked William that question, and he kind of hemmed and hawed a little bit and ultimately said, well, I first got online in 1978. And I remember stopping for a minute and pausing and then ask him the question, you know, what What on earth do you mean being online in 1978? Um, and so he told uh, a story. There was a story about him working at IBM and IBM who had built essentially an internet uh, for its employees to use when their technicians went out on the road to Uh, help uh, solve problems for their clients and deal with their computers, and was a way for the technicians to uh, be in real-time connection with uh, folks in the office and supervisors and whatnot. And so I was fascinated both by that story, but really what it told me uh, even beyond that is that there was something of significance about African-Americans and technology even further back than that period in the 90s, where I thought it all began. Um, And so the more that I started then tracking down that story, what else is happening in the 80s, in the 70s, then ultimately back into the 60s. And that's what led me to uh, that story, which is uh, book two uh, in the book. And that really has everything to do with the origins, the simultaneous origins and engagement of the 60s civil rights movement and the development of computing. Um, which, again, when we look at our current history of technology, when we look at our current history of civil rights, um, the story is that those two things are very separate stories. And what I discovered and found was that they weren't two separate stories, that they were intimately intertwined, engaged, and really um, that the two were on a collision course with each other um, from their very beginnings. And so that's the story that uh, is a second book, if you will, in black software.
0: What are the implications of always coming to the discussion of black folks and technology from a deficiency standpoint?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. And I think that deficiency and, um, you know, and Andre and I talk frequently about this, and it's one of the reasons why his uh, book is is so fascinating as well, is that when you start from that deficiency perspective with respect to black folks and technology, you simply miss a giant, not just a story, but a history We've told ourselves that this thing called the internet developed in the absence of black people when the actual reality is that it developed because of black people and because of black people's cultural engagement with uh, this technology and so uh, you don't you can't see that and when someone when someone like uh andre focuses on something like a Black Twitter in the present um, and stretches out its cultural uh, production, its cultural context back through and connecting to, um, you know, the, the moment of uh, Black blogging that came before it um, and all the things that were happening in the early 90s in terms of Black cultural production and online uh, spaces That's so foreign to people because that is part of our history that we do not know. But what we can see in many areas of contemporary digital life is the imprint of Black people, of Black culture. And so one has to ask, where did that come from? It did not come from uh, just nowhere. Uh, So if you don't have that framework and all that uh, you are told is... Uh, Black people have no connection to uh, or were not at the center or core of this technology, then you miss uh, what I say is not the history of Black people and technology, but you miss the history of technology and you miss the history of the Internet and how it uh, actually developed. Why the choice of
0: software versus hardware?
1: Yeah, you know, it was this was um you know the titling and the the concept of this really started with that conversation from with uh William Morrell. So, you know, black software, the the first time I had ever seen those two words together was um on a site by William Morrell that, you know, was very old when I uh sort of found it. Um and it started with, and what I was trying to figure out when I first talked to William was, you know, what did you mean by that term? And, you know, William was, um, you know, at a certain point in time in his career, the, the uh, first, the only African-American um, computer store owner in uh, Cambridge. And so he said he sold black software. And I wanted to understand what he meant. And you know, the same question you asked me is what sort of vexed me at the beginning, which was how you conceive of software as being black, and what I'm seeing, which is a material product, um, you call software. And so I really tried to understand that. And what ultimately came out of that was that at that time. Um, What was being circulated, what William um, and others like Kamal uh, Al-Mansur were producing and selling were um, essentially clip art, uh, at least one aspect uh, of it. That is, digital representations of people and things, um, and the black software part of it came in to play because they reshaped uh these images these digital images to represent uh black people and black culture um and so it was a way of reshaping the existing uh digital content to reflect black people black interests uh black culture and so that's where um The concept uh, came from that I sort of stretched beyond that. But it, for me, was not about the hardware, although that was a part of it. But the idea to think about software really came about because this was the thing that Black people were engaging with. um, And it was malleable. It was something that they could reshape. And so when you think about I mean, when you go back to the you know the early '90s and look at websites, and you think about all the um, uh, the the GIF images that have uh, sort of resurfaced with the animated uh, GIFs uh, of today of that uh, particular image file type um, that was used and animated, and you see them, you know, dotting the landscape of um, of black websites in uh, the '90s. Um, and that was utilized frequently because it was an easy uh, type of file format to manipulate and to use. And so there again, here was a type of digital production, a type of uh, code that could be shaped and reshaped and remade um, by people who knew how to um, engage it. And even as you go back um, earlier into the late 90s, or I'm sorry, the early 90s, late 80s, mid 80s, with things like um, the AfroNet, um, those folks were engaged with the hardware, and there was some connection to uh, the kind of technical and uh, tinkering uh, nature of uh, sort of engagement with this material thing. But what people were actually engaging with when they were connecting to other systems in the network, when they were connecting to other people in this uh, distributed uh, network was the stuff, the content, Um, the files, the code, the images that were being shared, um, sometimes some very, very, very rudimentary um, video, the text, all of which was a product of software. And so software for me had a lot to do not only with what people were actually engaging with um, technologically um, throughout the 90s, the 80s, uh, 70s and so forth, it conceptually for me was something about the, um, the malleable nature Of what we design, um, and what we uh, sort of purposely produce. Uh, And to think about those things as being able to be uh, influenced and shaped based on uh, any one person's or group of people's um, interests. Um, And so that concept for me then carries over back as we go to that uh, sort of origin story, if you will, of black software in the early '60s. Um, to think again about not so much the computer, the hardware itself that starts to get developed in earnest um, in the early and mid '60s, but the what we are doing with those computers, which was uh, had everything to do with uh, software. And so as the story shifts from what are black people doing to produce, engage, to connect to other black folks across the country and uh, across the world in the 80s and 90s uh, and beyond. To ask the question of the 1960s, as computing is really starting to uh, sort of take off and be developed and utilized. Uh, amongst the public and in uh, private settings, professional settings, government settings, to ask the question, how are we using this? That question was a software question, not a hardware question, because it had to do with what are we um, coding uh, these new uh, computers to do? What are we programming it to be able to do? What problems are we enabling it uh, to solve? And all those questions were software questions. And the reason I always gravitated back to the software because that's where your questions about intent and motivation and problem solving are all uh, are all a part of that. So when you look at a software, uh, a piece of software, a software code, or a program um, embedded in that code, embedded in that program are all these questions about what problem are you trying to solve? What is the problem? Who is the problem? Um, how are you defining it? Um, and what are you enabling uh, this software to do? Uh, and so that's what I was really interested in is, um, uh, what are we mobilizing computers to be able to do? And all those newer software questions.
0: Right. So the first book, you you talk about um, basically Black folks creating and deploying technology. Well, the second book, your focus is more on how technology comes to be deployed on Black people. Uh, would that be a fair kind of characterization? Absolutely.
1: And so the the story, which you know I've played with a lot in terms of the order and in earlier versions of the manuscript, book two was book one and vice versa. Um, Cause I wanted to sort of properly um, represent uh, how these two stories were, were related. And so I settled on um, uh, the order that it's in now, because that is uh, sort of the story. It's about a moment in the 60s where you have the development of the comput- of computing, but the virtual absence of black folks, that you don't have black folks at IBM and other computer companies that are developing the hardware and software. Uh, you don't have them in businesses and companies that are utilizing them. You don't have them represented in areas of government that are funding and that are Uh, compelling, the uses of uh, computing at that particular time. And so all of that then leaves open the door uh, for those original computing systems uh, to have a relationship to Black people as objects and not subjects. And so what gets created is used to thwart um, Black people. And the way that I set this up is to demonstrate the ways in which You have what is uh, determined to be a problem solving machine uh, that then goes to look for what problems exist in the world. And what they find here in the 60s, of course, are Black people uh, who are the nation's problem and therefore become the problem for which the computer is designed to address, to solve, um, and so we start this pathway, uh, relationship of black people to technology in that particular moment as, uh, objects having no real connection to the hardware, to the software, to the industry, to those who are making decisions about who it will be, uh, used or how it will be used. And so that's a beginning kind of a story that then after 10, 15, 20, and on years of development begins to shift. Um, and so as you start to have more uh, black engineers, more black software developers, more black folks that are represented in uh, the technology industry, still at very uh, low levels, but you start to have folks who get access to that technology. And by gaining that access, uh, begin to, do something very differently to, with that technology than how it was originally uh, designed. And so that's then where that book too comes from. And, uh, in many ways in that book, that's represented by the story of, uh, of William Burrell, who is that connection to, um, IBM, uh, you know, who has very, a sort of complicated, uh, connection to this, this whole story, but a Morell who connects to an IBM that is exclusionary in many ways, uh, in the 1960s, uh, very much a part of building these, uh, first computing systems that are built to, um, ameliorate the threat of black, uh, power, black political agency, um, as it's playing out in the streets of the the country in the 1960s, um, but then as that morphs into folks who gain access to that space, that corporate space, and to the digital tools that are being uh, used in those uh, spaces, begins to you know take that technology and use it for uh, different purposes, and that's really the story of. That moment in the 70s and uh, the 80s where you find African-Americans who, you know, there were sort of kind of three arenas. Either you were in college or university and, uh, you know, in engineering in some way. uh, And so that's how you gain access to this technology. Uh, More often than not, it was folks like William Morrell who went to go work at IBM and gained access to that technology. Um, as a technician uh, working for that company Um, and others were uh, groups of folks who gained access uh, by working for the federal government and had jobs that were um, jobs that gave them access to and experience with that technology. And so that story then begins to change as black folks more and more gain access to that technology and are You know, again, back to the software question, able to access and think about technology, which is something that is malleable and something that they find they can use and use um, for their own purposes to create community, to connect to to other folks, so on and so forth. So that's how those two stories are connected, um, very much as you uh, defined it uh, a story about how technology. Um, works on and certainly against Black people uh, in its origins, and then how that changes to Black people gaining access to and power over that technology to uh, use it and create things that are uh, for us, that are by us, that are uh, things that further our interests.
0: You frame the major question in the book as will our current or future technology allow us to basically ever defeat white supremacy? And so my question to you is like looking at where we are right now with technology, so many movements, so many um protests, using technology, changing technology, going after tech companies that are misusing and, and governments who are misusing technology. Do we have, are we looking at an answer to that question? And if so, what do you think it is?
1: Uh, um, that's a good question and usually depends on the the mood I'm in at the moment in terms of how I answer. But you know i'll be I'll be honest and and frank. I set that question for me is the crux of the book, and it really has everything to do with that origin story and its juxtaposition to that um story later about uh black hobbyists and producers and and so forth. And the story is this: if we start with the premise as I do. That computing technology was explicitly designed to thwart black people, black power, black interests. Uh, not just as an afterthought, not as an uh, an unintended consequence, not as an inadvertent consequence, but a central design. Um, so that's the origin. And if that is the origin, and that's how things play out from that moment in the 60s up on, that is for computing, computer software, computer hardware, and all of its manifestations to be a check on Black agency, Black power, Black representation, Black political uh, participation then one has to question if it will and can ever be anything different. Black Lives Matter was that moment that made me think, that made many of us think, this is realistic. It is realistic to think that we can utilize, design, make Um, and mobilize this technology to fight the power, as it were. And Black Lives Matter was so exciting. It was so galvanizing. Um, It was so moving as a movement because it showed us that possibility as a real possibility. But the question that I leave... Uh, Off with at the end of the book is that question: Is this the pinnacle of our um, power, our digital, our technological power? And if it is, I think that does not bode well for uh, that future. And so, here is you know just one example of what uh, I mean, which you know we we've all sort of recognized now as we uh, look back and reflect on you know, those days in, uh, in Ferguson and then uh, in Baltimore and uh, so many other places across the country where uh, black women, black men were, um, were killed, um, the violence that was uh, meted out against them by law enforcement um, and so forth. And we fought back and fought back in the streets and fought back uh, using those digital tools. It was not long after we started moving or uh, mobilizing those tools, Facebook um, in particular and sort of organizing a lot of the uh, movement and protests, uh, organizing for Ferguson, uh, Twitter, of course, for uh, much of uh, the rest of it um, and the distributed protests uh, that happened across the country. Uh, It was not long until you found law enforcement that had infiltrated those networks that were using social media data to surveil activist activity, uh, in some cases to find people from Ferguson, from Berkeley, from New York City, Baltimore, who were on the streets that they then would go back and apprehend and arrest. Um, because of their involvement um, and the knowledge of that their involvement that they uh, got from the social uh, media networks. And so my point is, is that while there may be a temporary moment in which we mobilize technology towards these uh, liberatory uh, ends, um, there always seems to be the inevitable course correction. Um and that course correction that basically resets that relationship that says these are technologies that were uh, not meant for you to be in control of uh to own and to work for you. you found a way a way to uh, sort of do that and to mobilize that for a moment, but we're back and we're back in control now and We own this. We control this. We will ensure that it continues to get used for the purposes of maintaining uh, a particular racial order uh, and thwart your and our ability uh, to do otherwise. So it's, you know, in some ways pessimistic, and in some ways, you know, sometimes I read that question that I lay out as a rhetorical one because. I don't see a different way that this uh, happens or functions. On the other hand, it is a question that points to some possibility um, and points to the possibility that if something like black lives matter can happen, then surely there is at least some possibility that something even more powerful, even more revolutionary can happen. Um, And so leaving out that hope, that possibility, I think, is important. Number one, because it's real and it's evident and it's out there and we can uh, see it. Um, But at the same time, having the guarded uh, optimism, the caution to know that um, computing was in a very real way, designed uh, to work against us and not for us.
0: To follow up with that, some folks give a very flip answer, and that is um, the solution is that we build our own stuff, right? (laughs) What is your take on that idea? Um,
1: I mean, I think that that is part of it. And I think one of the reasons that we have not been able to sort of uh, mobilize technology towards these revolutionary and truly revolutionary ends is because there is an an ownership uh, void, um, and that's one of the stark contrasts when we look at that uh, moment, albeit brief, in the early mid '90s, where Black folks owned stuff in this uh digital uh con- uh um space um that all seems to have virtually disappeared uh since um so i think ownership is one of them and it is a challenge and you know you can look out on the world of uh you know black tech uh, entrepreneurship uh, and see the ways that uh, black entrepreneurs struggle um, struggle to, uh, produce things, to gain a foothold in a market, to profit. Um, so I think that's, you know, that is a, a, a real challenge. Um, but it's not, I think the difference is not just about making our own stuff. Um, it is about, uh, you know, I guess I would have to say, you know, something like, Control, um, uh, and when you think of the magnitude of the uh, systems that are out there, uh, your Google's of the world, your Microsoft, your Facebooks, your Twitters, etc., that really um, control so much of our lives, um, it, it, it's hard to to see how s- simple. Production and creation, which we've always done as a uh, uh, as a community, and have had a, a sort of uh, an outsized uh, role in. What we haven't had is that sense of prominence and power, uh, or even you know domination in a way, uh, and domination in a market context, um, in a financial context, and so I think that is the ownership challenge, the ownership handle. So ownership is one thing, but then going from simple owner to, uh, being a major player, uh, that, uh, influences and controls in a way, the trajectory of not only the technology, but, um, you know, the, the culture and the behavior that goes along with, uh, that, I think that's where the gap is. Um, and I think, Uh, It's an extraordinary uh,
0: gap. So, What do you hope people take away from black software?
1: I want people to know, uh, first and foremost, that when we look out on this thing that is uh, what we are immersed in uh, today, uh, this Internet and everything that is connected uh, to it, our whole digital environment, for people to know and realize that black people are uh, as much a part of the history of that medium's development uh, as uh, are the white folks that are typically held up as its um, heroes. Um, When you read, uh, you know, popular books about the, the internet you see, uh, you just see a litany of, White folks and white men, in particular, these are the folks we hold out as the creators, the innovators, um, the people who originated these technologies and the uh, the hardware and the software, and that's who we um, we build up. Uh, and I think what we what we miss is um, the fact that. Black people shaped that technology, um, you know, in many ways more uh, than those folks that we hold out. And so, you know, what I mean by that is, you know, up until the early '90s, the internet was, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, pipes and cables and and hardware and a place where. Average folks uh, had no connection to and no um, reason to utilize it. And even when the World Wide Web came online, there was nothing there. Um, And uh, there was no connection. And so, as this thing moved from uh, government and uh, uh, sort of government and uh, private enterprise tool to a public, commercial tool that needed uh masses of users we only made that transition because of black people um that black folks were the cultural producers in uh, that space that made the internet something that people wanted to come to that there was content that was exciting that was new that was engaging. And that is what we built. And if we look at the internet today, where everything is about that engagement, that excitement, that attention, um, and we see that as a real driver of the digital uh, economy, uh, that that is something that we are directly uh, responsible for. Um, So first and foremost, I want us and I want people to know that uh, we are here, that we were there when this stuff was uh created that we have a uh, a giant role uh even if it is untold um, and uncelebrated uh that it should be um and the second is really as we think about all that we have done and can do with these technologies i want us to i want readers uh to be um realistic about the possibilities and the limits of this technology. Uh, And so I want people to think about where all of this came from. I want people to think about the origin story of the internet, the origin story of computing, uh, and to think about what it means uh, to frame computing as a tool of, White supremacy as a racialized uh, tool from its very beginnings and origins, uh, and temper our expectations, our possibilities, and so forth, knowing um, that this was something that was uh, always meant to uh, limit our agency, our power, our uh, influence. Thank you. You're very welcome. welcome.